the Bible. From America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights, and of liberty under law. worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The pilgrims, the Puritans, the founding fathers, and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. First and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we could not know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible, a 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight, the entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of the Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. Thanks, Kevin Bell, getting us on the air tonight, and my good friend Brian, engineering the program. <laughs> Thanks, Brian, for being there, and we are ready to get into the Word once again this beautiful Friday evening. Open your heart, your mind to hear the Scriptures tonight. We're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 33 and read through chapter 36 tonight. In chapter 12 of Genesis, we picked up with God beginning to work with an individual named Abraham. Abram, at the time, and his wife, Sarai, later to become Sarah. He begins to work with them directly, individually. It doesn't mean he stopped working with everybody else. He was still revealing himself to other people, people groups all over the planet. We read in the Psalms, the sun, the moon, the star, the seasons, general revelation. God never stopped revealing himself. Always it was there. General revelation, nature around us, the seasons, the miracle of animal life. Everything, the sun, the moon, the stars, it all leads us to think about the Creator. And then, of course, when we look inside, there is human consciousness, self-awareness, the wonder of the human psyche itself, wondering about immortality and wondering about eternal life and wondering about values, not only consciousness, but human conscience, the sense of right and wrong. All of these are ways that God continues to speak to people. But now he is dealing directly with this man, his wife, this family, these individuals, in what is called special revelation, speaking into their hearts and lives as a result of their faith. And through them, of course, we learn more and more specifics about the God of the Scriptures. We'll talk a little bit more about it. I'll catch you up on where we are exactly in our reading in Genesis 33. But right now, let's go to our wisdom and worship segment, the beautiful Psalm 10 on the Bible Live. Psalm 10. Oh, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I need you the most? Proud and wicked people viciously oppress the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. 
For they brag about their evil desires. They praise the greedy and curse the Lord. These wicked people are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead, yet they succeed in everything they do. They do not see your punishment awaiting them. They pour scorn on all their enemies. They say to themselves, nothing bad will ever happen to us. We will be free of trouble forever. Their mouths are full of cursing, lies, and threats. Trouble and evil are on the tips of their tongues. They lurk in dark alleys, murdering the innocent who pass by. They are always searching for some helpless victim. Like lions, they crouch silently, waiting to pounce on the helpless. Like hunters, they capture their victims and drag them away in nets. The helpless are overwhelmed and collapse. They fall beneath the strength of the wicked. The wicked say to themselves, God isn't watching. He will never notice. Arise, O Lord. Punish the wicked, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why do the wicked get away with cursing God? How can they think God will never call us to account? But you do see the trouble and grief they cause. You take note of it and punish them. The helpless put their trust in you. You are the defender of orphans. Break the arms of these wicked, evil people. Go after them until the last one is destroyed. The Lord is king forever and ever. Let those who worship other gods be swept from the land. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will listen to their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed, so people can no longer terrify them. End of reading Psalm 10. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Glorious indeed. We are back. This is The Bible Live. Quick thought before we go on to talk about the book of Genesis. Psalm 10 is rather interesting. The theme of Psalm 10 is common to the scriptures, particularly to the Psalms, where believers cry out, why are the wicked succeeding? Why does it seem that the wicked prosper and sometimes those that love you and follow you and try to obey you, they suffer a great deal? That is a constant cry out from God's people in the scriptures. And I bet you've asked yourself about it a few times. Often it seems like the wicked prosper. They get elected. They get rich. And then bad things, of course, still happen to really sweet, good people who love the Lord. That's par for the course. That's the world we live in. Good and evil do coexist here. A bullet fired doesn't turn to a marshmallow just because it's headed toward an innocent child. This is a closed system ruled only by morally neutral natural laws. And this is the system that we live in, where God deals with us in it. It's a real world. Bad things can happen to good people as well. This is a common theme of the scriptures, and God assures us that he will indeed someday judge. He will indeed make wrongs right. Now, Psalms 9 and 10 are the same theme, and in fact, many ancient manuscripts combine Psalms 9 and 10. Psalm 9 was written by David, so we think Psalm 10 tonight was also written by King David. Now, to Genesis 33, quickly, let me tell you that Jacob has been up serving his uncle Laban. Now he has made his way back down. 
Tonight, he is coming back to meet Esau. They will make their peace. The last time he saw Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. So we'll see Jacob return now to Bethel. Let's read about it on the Bible Live. Genesis 33, 1 through 36, 19. Genesis 33. Then in the distance, Jacob saw Esau coming with his 400 men. Jacob now arranged his family into a column with his two concubines and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then Jacob went on ahead. As he approached his brother, he bowed low seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him affectionately and kissed him. Both of them were in tears. Then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, Who are these people with you? These are the children God has graciously given to me, Jacob replied. Then the concubines came forward with their children and bowed low before him. Next, Leah came with her children and they bowed down. Finally, Rachel and Joseph came and made their bows. And what were all the flocks and herds I met as I came, Esau asked. Jacob replied, They are gifts, my lord, to ensure your goodwill. Brother, I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have. No, please accept them, Jacob said, for what a relief it is to see your friendly smile. It is like seeing the smile of God. Please take my gifts, for God has been very generous to me. I have more than enough. Jacob continued to insist, so Esau finally accepted them. Well, let's be going, Esau said. I will stay with you and lead the way. But Jacob replied, You can see, my lord, that some of the children are very young, and the flocks and herds have their young too. If they are driven too hard, they may die. So go on ahead of us. We will follow at our own pace and meet you at Seir. Well, Esau said, At least let me leave some of my men to guide and protect you. There is no reason for you to be so kind to me, Jacob insisted. So Esau started back to Seir that same day. Meanwhile, Jacob and his household traveled on to Sukkoth. There he built himself a house and made shelters for his flocks and herds. That is why the place was named Sukkoth. Then they arrived safely at Shechem in Canaan, and they set up camp just outside the town. Jacob bought the land he camped on from the family of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of silver. And there he built an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 34. One day Dinah, Leah's daughter, went to visit some of the young women who lived in the area. But when the local prince, Shechem's son of Hamor the Hivite, saw her, he took her and raped her. But Shechem's love for Dinah was strong, and he tried to win her affection. He even spoke to his father about it. Get this girl for me, he demanded. I want to marry her. Word soon reached Jacob that his daughter had been defiled. But his sons were out in the field herding cattle, so he did nothing until they returned. Meanwhile, Hamor, Shechem's father, came out to discuss the matter with Jacob. He arrived just as Jacob's sons were coming in from the fields. They were shocked and furious that their sister had been raped. Shechem had done a disgraceful thing against Jacob's family, a thing that should never have been done. Hamor told Jacob and his sons, My son Shechem is truly in love with your daughter, and he longs for her to be his wife. Please let him marry her. We invite you to let your daughters marry our sons, and we will give our daughters as wives for your young men. And you may live among us. The land is open to you. Settle here and trade with us. You are free to acquire property among us. Then Shechem addressed Dinah's father and brothers. 
please be kind to me and let me have her as my wife, he begged. I will give whatever you require. No matter what dowry or gift you demand, I will pay it. Only give me the girl as my wife. But Dinah's brothers deceived Shechem and Hamor because of what Shechem had done to their sister. They said to them, We couldn't possibly allow this because you aren't circumcised. It would be a disgrace for her to marry a man like you. But here is a solution. If every man among you will be circumcised like we are, we will intermarry with you and live here and unite with you to become one people. Otherwise, we will take her and be on our way. Hamor and Shechem gladly agreed, and Shechem lost no time acting on this request, for he wanted Dinah desperately. Shechem was a highly respected member of his family, and he appeared with his father before the town leaders to present this proposal. Those men are our friends, they said. Let's invite them to live here among us and ply their trade, for the land is large enough to hold them, and we can intermarry with them. But they will consider staying here only on one condition. Every one of us men must be circumcised, just as they are. But if we do this, all their flocks and possessions will become ours. Come, let's agree to this, so they will settle here among us. So all the men agreed and were circumcised. But three days later, when their wounds were still sore, two of Dinah's brothers, Simeon and Levi, took their swords, entered the town without opposition, and slaughtered every man there, including Hamor and Shechem. They rescued Dinah from Shechem's house and returned to their camp. Then all of Jacob's sons plundered the town because their sister had been defiled there. They seized all the flocks and herds and donkeys, everything they could lay their hands on, both inside the town and outside in the fields. They also took all the women and children and wealth of every kind. Afterward, Jacob said to Levi and Simeon, You have made me stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and Perizzites. We are so few that they will come and crush us. We will all be killed. Should he treat our sister like a prostitute, they retorted angrily. This is the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Genesis 35 God said to Jacob, Now move on to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to worship me, the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob told everyone in his household, Destroy your idols, wash yourselves, and put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has stayed with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their idols and their earrings and he buried them beneath the tree near Shechem. When they set out again, terror from God came over the people in all the towns of that area, and no one attacked them. Finally they arrived at Luz, now called Bethel in Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and named it El Bethel because God had appeared to him there at Bethel when he was fleeing from Esau. Soon after this, Rebekah's old nurse, Deborah, died. She was buried beneath the oak tree in the valley below Bethel. Ever since, the tree has been called the Oak of Weeping. God appeared to Jacob once again when he arrived at Bethel after traveling from Padanaram. God blessed him and said, Your name is no longer Jacob. You will now be called Israel. Then God said, I am God Almighty. Multiply and fill the earth. Become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants and I will pass on to you the land I gave to Abraham and Isaac. 
Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants. Then God went up from the place where he had spoken to Jacob. Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place where God had spoken to him. He then poured wine over it as an offering to God and anointed the pillar with olive oil. Jacob called the place Bethel, house of God, because God had spoken to him there. Leaving Bethel, they traveled on toward Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. But Rachel's pains of childbirth began while they were still some distance away. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid, you have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named him Benoni. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a stone monument over her grave, and it can be seen there to this day. Jacob then traveled on and camped beyond the Tower of Adair. While he was there, Reuben slept with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and someone told Jacob about it. These are the names of the twelve sons of Jacob. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's oldest son, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons born to Jacob at Padan Aram. So Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre, which is near Kiriath Arba, now called Hebron, where Abraham had also lived. Isaac lived for 180 years, and he died at a ripe old age, joining his ancestors in death. Then his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 36. This is the history of the descendants of Esau, also known as Edom. Esau married two young women from Canaan, Adah, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Oholibamah, the daughter of Anah and granddaughter of Zibion the Hivite. He also married his cousin Basimoth, who was the daughter of Ishmael and the sister of Nebaioth. Esau and Adah had a son named Eliphaz. Esau and Basimoth had a son named Reuel. Esau and Oholibamah had sons named Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. All these sons were born to Esau in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, children, household servants, cattle, and flocks, all the wealth he had gained in the land of Canaan, and moved away from his brother Jacob. There was not enough land to support them both because of all their cattle and livestock. So Esau, also known as Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir. This is a list of Esau's descendants, the Edomites, who lived in the hill country of Seir. Among Esau's sons were Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife Adah, and Reuel, the son of Esau's wife Basimoth. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Eliphaz had another son named Amalek, born to Timnah, his concubine. These were all grandchildren of Esau's wife Adah. The sons of Reuel were Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Misa. These were all grandchildren of Esau's wife Basimoth. Esau also had sons through Oholibamah, the daughter of Anah and granddaughter of Zibion. Their names were Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. Esau's children and grandchildren became the leaders of different clans. The sons of Esau's oldest son, Eliphaz, became the leaders of the clans of Teman, Omar, Zepho, Kenas, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These clans in the land of Edom were descended from Eliphaz, the son of Esau and Adah. The sons of Esau's son Reuel became the leaders of the clans of Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. 
These clans in the land of Edom were descended from Reuel, the son of Esau, and Basamath. The sons of Esau and his wife Oholibamah became the leaders of the clans of Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the clans descended from Esau's wife Oholibamah, the daughter of Anah. These are all the clans descended from Esau, also known as Edom. End of reading, Genesis 33, 1 through 36, 19. Like the sun is shining when the rain is pouring down. It's like my soul is flying, though my feet are on the ground. You're listening to God's Talk Show, The Bible Live. I'm in better hands now. (laughs) Maybe that's what Jacob was thinking as well. He's in better hands now. He has slowly come around to trusting God. Well, maybe not totally finished work in the sense of a total uh, faith relationship with God, consulting with God before he does things. But one thing you see now is he's gone through this stress, this trouble. And notice that it is trouble, it's difficulty that has brought Jacob to this point of trusting God. It has heightened and sharpened his commitment to the true and living God. All these complications with his brother Esau. He had to flee for his life. Then he got taken advantage of by Laban. Problems with his two wives and the competition that sprang up between Rachel, the one he loved, and Leah, the one he got first because of Laban's trickery. Then they have Zilpah and Bilhah, these two handmaidens, the servants of his wives that begin to compete as well. So he's got these four women he's responsible for. Never was part of God's plan, but that'll be enough to humble you a little bit, bring you to the end of yourself. Then, of course, dealing with those children now, he has, what, 11 boys and one daughter. Shechem here chose the wrong girl to uh, attack, right? You don't attack a girl with 11 or 12 brothers. That's not very smart. We can read about that in our second chapter tonight, chapter 34. A shameful episode, the murder of all those people, a very difficult thing to read, but it just again goes to show, it just tells us the truth, the scriptures do. Good people sometimes do very wicked, evil things as well and fail greatly. We see that happening here, not only with the killing of Shechem, but notice later on in chapter 35, Reuben, his oldest son, actually, and the one who was lined up to have the birthright. He was going to have the privilege of having the double inheritance and being the titular head of the family. And Reuben sacrificed that by having sexual relations with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Jacob heard about it. Now, it doesn't say here that Jacob confronted Reuben about this. It could be that Reuben never found out about the consequences of his terrible act until at Jacob's deathbed, he reminds Reuben of what he did. And he finds out then that he has lost the birthright. What a tremendous sacrifice he made for just a moment, perhaps, of pleasure. We humans are so short-sighted. We have to be able to prioritize and know what's important. Why do we do these things when we know that we belong to God and that we're working and living on a whole different set of realities as believers? But that's what we do. We're fallible still. We make mistakes. As they say, God's people are not perfect, but we are forgiven. And God is at work in our lives to transform us. We see God working in the life of Jacob, making peace between these two brothers. That's a very interesting thing that happened. Last time Jacob saw his brother, Esau was threatening to kill him when he fled away 20 years before. And now he's returning with his families. He's gotten his bribe already. But Esau is very gracious to his brother, as you see here. Then this revenge on the little village of Shechem and all the people that slaughter 
Now, it was a terrible thing that happened, and yet the response was way off the level of what was done by this one individual. And then we see Jacob now returning. Notice that he tells them to put away their idols, to bury them. He said, give away your jewelry. Sometimes they had these pieces of jewelry. They were more than just trinkets to make you look better. They were actually little idols, good luck trinkets that people would have. Jacob had come to believe now that idols would have no place in his household, and he wanted nothing to divert the family from the spiritual focus on the true and living God. Jacob is really coming around now to a point of real commitment to God. So he orders his household to get rid of the idols and the trinkets. We need to remove the idols from our lives as well because they can ruin our faith. They can rob us of our joy and of our commitment, our effectiveness as God's people. What idols might you have in your life? There's so many ways that we can have idols and let them grow up and have a place in our life. An idol is anything we put before God. Abram was told to sacrifice his son Isaac. It could be a good thing. It doesn't mean the thing itself is evil, but if it replaces God, that was the whole point. Even this wonderful son that God had given him was not to be put before his relationship with God. God reiterates, he repeats to Jacob, I've changed your name. Remember, there's a lot in a name. When you change a name, you change their self-image. You change how they see and view themselves. If you've ever had a nickname given you that really took over, like my name Soapy, I got when I was five years old. Five years old, having been called Soapy my whole life, what effect did that name? There's a lot in a name that we might have. We come down to uh, the end. There is a place where it says, okay, let's take roll. And it gives us the roll call of Esau's children and of Jacob's sons and daughters, Dinah, his daughter. That's an important thing because, remember, this is God dealing with this people group in and through and with them as an example of his dealing with us. I'm beginning to get the idea from looking at Jacob's life as we follow it through these turbulent years. In the first place, what an amazing life, tremendous adventure, lots of challenges, living in the time in which he lived as well. No internet, no vehicles, all of this traveling. You had to really be a strong individual to endure in these years. And yet here they get this revenge against this town of Shechem for the violation of Dinah, the girl of the family. The idea I get is that God dealing with Jacob clearly were a great deal through his pain. Jacob came to full faith and mature faith and commitment and trust in God by the difficulties in life that he experienced. Now, some of those difficulties he didn't have to experience, but they brought him closer to God. Soapy Dollar, Soapy Reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now, don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 